Welcome to Tales of Panem, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. This week's episode will cover chapters 14 through 18 of Mockingjay, and as usual, I'm going to start off with a brief recap of the chapters. While the doctors in 13 continue to work on PETA's recovery, Katniss travels to District 2 to help the rebels there. They are trying to overtake a capital military base called the Nut. Gail suggests bombing the mountain to block all the exits, and Katniss disagrees with this strategy because it would kill everyone inside. Katniss gives a speech to the capital loyalists in District 2, which results in her being shot. Back in 13, she attends Finnick and Annie's wedding, which has been arranged by Plutarch and filmed to broadcast across Panem. After the wedding, Hamish informs her that Peta has requested to talk to her. She reluctantly goes to visit him, and although he doesn't try to attack her this time, he is still extremely hostile and overly cautious with her. When Katniss is informed that she will not be allowed to go to the capital to fight, she throws herself into training along with Joanna. The two are both in very poor condition, but they work hard and eventually are allowed to complete the final military exam and evaluation. Katniss passes, but Joanna fails and ends up back in the hospital. When Katniss goes to visit her, Joanna makes her promise that she will kill Snow. Katniss is assigned to Squad 451, along with Boggs, Gale, Finnick, and some soldiers from 13, and they are dispatched to the capital. However, they are upset when they learn that they will not be on the front lines, but rather being filmed for more propos. After one of their squad members is killed, Peta is sent as a replacement, convincing Katniss that Coin wants her dead. So I think we can gather that the characters I'm going to be talking about a lot today are unfortunately Gale, because He's big in this section, even though I barely mentioned him in the recap, even though he wasn't in it a lot. So that's kind of on me. I just like a lot of what he does, though, is just like arguing with Katniss, saying stupid stuff. So I wasn't going to like in the recap be like, and then Gail said something else dumb and stupid. I'm just going to talk about how he's dumb and stupid during the episode. I'm going to talk about Joanna Mason a lot because we all know how I feel about her. Um, And this section actually is the section that made me like really, really fall in love with her character. I thought she was cool and interesting and catching fire but like after reading these chapters it really solidified that like she was definitely one of my favorite characters in the series um which is why it kind of makes me a little disappointed that her role was like really diminished in the movies specifically in Mockingjay and Mockingjay part two um and that's something I'll probably talk more about once I talk about the individual movies um but like she really was given so much to do in this book and and not a lot to do in the movies and it has to do with some other stuff that I will talk about uh, later. And then I'm obviously going to be talking about Peta a lot because we're like in the thick of his recovery. Um, and so there's a lot going on there. So hopefully all the Joanna and Peta stuff will like cancel out the fact that I do have to talk about Gail a lot. So let's just get right into it. We're in District 2. And Katniss, basically the reason she's there is because she kind of needs to like get away. We're at the point right now in terms of her relationship with Peta and her involvement with his recovery where she's basically like, I don't want anything to do with it. I just want to move on. I just want to forget. And it's not because she doesn't care about him. It's because she cares so much that just being around him or hearing about him or seeing him in that condition is like so painful to her. And I will talk next week about like kind of her handling of Peta's situation because I don't think that she is perfect and I don't think she handles it perfectly, but like obviously. Um, And I often see people kind of giving her some like, like being like, oh my god, I'll never forgive Katniss for the way she treated Pete after he was hijacked. And I think that kind of misses the point because she's, first of all, a 17-year-old girl. And 
there is no guide for how to handle this situation. This is not something that anyone has ever had to experience. Even like the it's it's so different from other things that the capital has done and no one knows how to help her through that. And so she's kind of just figuring it out on her own. There are people there trying to support her, but like what can anyone say or do that's actually going to help the situation? Not really anything. And and so she kind of runs away from it. And she, the next section is the one where we really get into like how could she be handling this better? Because she, while Peter is obviously extremely hostile towards her because of his situation, she kind of returns it. And and she knows that's not fair. It's never a question of her acknowledging it, but it's it's so hard for her to see him that way and to not have a poor reaction to it. Um, and I think that, yeah, well, okay, maybe she could be handling it better. Maybe she could, like be nicer to him we know what kind of person she is and I don't think it's out of line or like out of character for her to be acting like this especially right now but that is definitely something I'll get into next week and so she goes to district two basically is like I just need to be away from this and she's kind of like I'll go to two then I'll go to the capital and I'll die and like that'll be that but their mission in district two is obviously to they want to reclaim this like capital military base because district two is very interesting in that they are so deeply loyal to the capital. They are the most bought into the capital's propaganda. And this is something very fascinating, especially when when you've read Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and I won't get into any spoilers, obviously, but Sejanus Plinth, I'm sorry, every time I talk about him, I just, I love him so much. Anyway, um, I'll talk about him so much in the future, don't worry. It's one of the main characters of that book, and he is from a family that was originally from District 2 and got relocated to the capital. And, like, it's such an interesting dynamic because, like, Di- District 2, again, like I said, is so bought into what the capital is kind of preaching to them. And now we're at the point where every other district has joined the rebellion except for them. And so we have, and and they are obviously the most important to the capital. That's why the capital prioritizes, like, keeping them in line because they are their new military center. It was District 13, but once District 13, like, all that stuff happened, it became District 2. And so District 2 has always been the most crucial to them. And so that is why they push the hardest on them and be like you and like give them what they need to keep them in line. And that like ties into the whole like bread and circuses thing that I brought up last week and then realized that it was actually in this section. So I'll talk about it a little more again. Um, (laughs) But really getting District 2 on their side is their hardest task. And so it basically comes down to Gail's plan, which is like, maybe we don't need to reclaim the base. We can just destroy it by bombing the mountain and it'll create avalanches, et cetera, et cetera. And Katniss, of course, immediately draws the parallel to a mining accident because they're from District 12. Every, like most of the people they grew up around and knew are miners and both their fathers died in mining accidents. And she basically is like, she brings that up to Gail. She's like, this is literally going to be like causing a massive mining accident. And he's like, well, it happened to our fathers. And he is all about revenge. And, and there's a side of that to Katniss too. I mean, like her, her biggest mission right now is like go to the Capitol, kill snow to get back up for everything that has happened to her and then go from there. And she, but she doesn't like this plan because their ideas of revenge are very different. To her, revenge is I want to kill the one person who is respons- directly responsible for everything that has happened to me. Snow has had a hand in every bad thing that's ever happened to her. 
and to everyone else in the country. It's all him. That doesn't mean there aren't other bad people, but he's at the center of it all. Gail's idea of revenge is killing anyone who played a role in that. The problem here is that a lot of the people working inside that base are not peacekeepers. They're not even necessarily capital loyalists. They're just people from District 2 who need jobs to survive. There are also rebel spies in there. And he does have a point about those people would be willing to lay down their lives for the cause. And she acknowledges that when he says, if I, if I were in there, I would do the same. Because he is fully willing to die for this cause. And that can, that can be a very admirable thing. But as Katniss also points out, that's a really dark decision to be making for somebody else. Even if you know they would be okay with it, to just do it under that assumption is a lot different. And so this is basically her point. And I also will, I will touch back on this scene when we, when I talk about Mockingjay part two of the film, because they kind of rewrote some of the lines in this like argument she has with Gail. And I actually think one of the rewrites was like really good and a really good choice. And one of my favorite probably like interactions to happen between them but she but um still Katniss has a very different experience with killing than Gail does Gail they've both been hunting their whole lives but obviously killing an animal especially when it's to feed your family is extremely different from killing a human being or killing many many human beings and Katniss also has firsthand experience of killing people so does gail now i mean he's been fighting now in this war he was fighting in district eight they were there shooting down capital hovercraft together but she's the one to point out like that is a different situation we were actively under attack there we were trying to defend the people of that hospital now we'd be going on the offensive and also those were capital bombers and this is an entire base like i said filled with people who are not necessarily actively fighting for the capital and so and this is what the like speech she gives to the people of District 2 is about how like, and it also goes back to what Peta said in his, his first interview where he was like, we're just going to kill each other off if we keep this war going. And that was obviously partially stuff that was like fed to him by Snow, basically trying to get everyone to like lay down their weapons. But there's a point about District, District 2 destroying, or like district two fighting district 13 and like district 13 trying to destroy district two and and stuff like that because the districts fighting each other is what the capital wants they don't want a cooperation between the districts because if every single district teams up together they can overthrow the capital there's significantly more of them than there are capital citizens and soldiers that is why they have always cut off communication between the districts and not allowed them any potential chance to organize themselves which is why it took 75 years for another rebellion to gain footing and so if district 13 kills off all these people inside of this base which is a huge base there's a lot of people in there there have to be real concerns about the population and that's not to say like oh we shouldn't even fight this war because like what if we all just end up killing ourselves off because it's it's a worthy cause and it's a very important cause and I think that it needs to happen, but that doesn't mean it can't, it can't be a consideration. So on top of like, maybe we should think before we just kill civilians, there is also a genuine concern about like, we don't have an unlimited number of people to fight this war and we need them. So if there's people inside that mountain who would join us, 
we should do we should give them a chance to or at the very least give them a chance to surrender and not have to lose their lives also on the like romantic side of things with gail first of all this is what i was talking about last week when he's like i was starting to worry that like maybe finnick had his eye on you shut up and this is also when he's like no i'm actually um so jealous of Peta right now because if he doesn't get better then you'll never let him go and he also says like no amount of pain I'm in could ever compare to that that is so weird that is so rancid to be like I'm jealous of this guy who literally has been tortured for the past several weeks and has had his entire identity stripped away from him because you're giving him your attention that is the most messed up thing you could possibly say to someone, especially her and especially in this situation. It's so weird. The vibes are so awful. And coupling that with him being like, also, I was jealous of Finnick. And this is when Katniss is like, girl, you don't know Finnick. Like, please be quiet. And also he talks about when he first like realized he had feelings for Katniss. And it was when they were in the hob and Darius was like teasing her about like kissing her. And Gail's like, oh, actually, I have an issue with this. And I think that that in itself is not a problem but compared like compiled with everything else half of his feelings for her are jealousy and so the fact that he didn't even realize that he was interested in her until someone else expressed interest it's like almost possessive and I don't think that he is like possessive of her I think that his jealousy can reach extremely toxic levels but I wouldn't necessarily say that he's possessive in the way that like I mean like I'm no I, I can't say that this is a spoiler for Ballad of Slumber and Snakes but like I I do think that this is not healthy behavior. Um, There's just a lot of things like that where it's like maybe on its own this wouldn't be a problem, but it's weird when you when you like add it to everything else he's said and done. It's not healthy and it's bad for her, really. Um, But at this exact moment, she is so she is so lonely, and I think that like she's been lonely pretty much her entire life. Uh, starting basically when her father died because even though she had her family and she had Gail she's had other friends no one really understood what it was like for her and so finally after the games she has PETA and he can't understand everything that's happened to her but that was a very significantly traumatizing experience for her and so to have someone who even remotely understood what she was going through was so important on top of the fact that she just really cared about him and and enjoyed having her around, enjoyed spending time with him and deeply cared about him and now she has basically no one again she's off in district two and then once gail shows up he's kind of the only person she has to like turn to which is why she does and why they are like have so many more interactions in this section because she's just so desperate to like not be alone and i think that that is a really important theme to explore especially within this series and it all goes back to me like talking about how Katniss Everdeen is such a geniusly written female character and beautifully written too because like it explore even even in this the most extreme situations which like because like pr- people reading this series aren't going to be like oh my god I also fought in the Hunger Games and like lived and then had to lead an entire revolution. Like it's not on the surface a relatable story at least with the specific events. However, the actual like themes she's ex- she's dealing with and experiencing, especially as a young girl, is are relatable things. People have experienced this deep loneliness. Again, maybe not for the same reasons, but but like people have felt that loneliness and people have felt 
anger and and stuff like that things that are very real emotions that we often don't get to see women grappling with in media are allowed to be explored here even in the most extreme circumstances and it's what makes Katniss a relatable character even again like I said if you haven't necessarily experienced things that she's experiencing she can still be deeply relatable in her responses to those things and her coping mechanisms and the way that she behaves can be extremely relatable to readers especially female readers there is definitely I'm gonna say it now I will be doing a Gale episode at some point and talking and I'll talk a lot there about like because obviously I talked about this last week too about like the whole the whole series kind of being an exploration of like war theory and he is a very important part of that and he means something very specific to the story in terms of like what his views on the war are but that's something I don't really have time to get into today because there's a lot of other things I want to talk about so I'm going to save that for when I do an episode on him specifically. Back to what I was saying about like her sort of flashing back to these mining accidents. Katniss's father is brought up a lot in this section, which I like because sometimes with everything else that's going on, you kind of forget that this, like a lot of this started for her when she lost her father. And she starts to like see him in, in other people. Like she, there's a part where like Boggs gives her a blanket and she thinks about her father and stuff like that. And like, we actually do get more of the details of like what actually happened the day he died. Um, And I love, I love the line that's like, if there's a more helpless feeling than knowing someone you love is trapped underground and not being able to reach them, I don't know what it is. And she also has like a really deep fear of like being underground and specifically being buried alive because that's what happened to her father. But like the helplessness of being a literal 11 year old and like, and knowing that your father is down there and just slowly, slowly less and less people start coming out and eventually you find out that he's not going to survive or he's not going to be able to be saved. But, like, that would be the most, like, torturous experience. And, like, again, you would feel so helpless because there's absolutely nothing you can do except stand and wait. On to something a little happier, though. Finnick and Anna get married. So cute. And it's so nice to just, like, experience joy both in story and out of story. Like, reading this book, I'm like, wow, everything is terrible. Everything is terrible. Oh, a wedding of two people that I care deeply about. And that's the experience that it is for people of District 13. And I think we cannot underestimate the value of joy in in an experience like this. You have to like smile sometimes or like feel good, even just briefly, even though they know everything that's going on and how bad things are going. Not like necessarily for the wards. In fact, that's actually pretty going pretty good. They're like uniting all the districts, but like specifically from Katniss's viewpoint. And also like, even though they might be winning the war, they're still losing a lot of people. And it's going to come to a point where pretty much every single person in District 13 will have personally lost someone if they haven't already. But again, it's important for people to experience that kind of joy. And yeah, it can be valuable when they like film it and broadcast it. Everyone to be like, oh, look how great we're doing here in 13. But like on a personal level, level for the people of 13, it's a really good thing. Not to mention for Finnick and Annie, because they are they are so in love with each other. They're so certain in their love for each other. And Katniss is like genuinely happy for them. Like she doesn't have to bake it. She actually is so happy that they are doing this. But another major thing regarding this wedding, and this is yet another one of the things that I bring up every single time I watch this film and be like, oh my God, in the book, this happened. Pita Frost, Finnick and Annie's wedding cake. And not only do I just think that is so sweet, 
And so great because we know that he got genuine joy out of frosting the cakes at the bakery back home. But also it's a huge step in his recovery. Because like when Katniss left, he literally like was still screaming about how she was a mutt and like actively trying to kill her. And this doesn't necessarily say anything specifically about like how he's feeling about her now and if that's improved. But like just the physical control it takes to do something like that and to do it so well, which he did, is something that he never could have achieved when he first got back. And so progress is being made. And obviously the most difficult thing to fix is going to be his perception of Katniss. And that is something that is going to take time and maybe never completely be fixed. Still, we can't, we can't, like, obviously I love their relationship specifically their romantic relationship so much it's literally my favorite ever um and and so like obviously a big part of reading this is like oh my gosh it's so sad that like he's been made to hate Katniss when he loved her so much and like how can we kind of help with that and how can their relationship get back to being what it was or even stronger like obviously I care about all those things but I also think that like Peter also needs to recover on a personal level because he had like his entire sense of identity has been taken away from him. He can't even trust what's going on in his own mind. He has no idea what's real or what's fake. And that is literally the like that could be the scariest feeling ever, even just imagining what that would be like. And so I think it's really important stuff like this that's like his recovery outside of Katniss, outside of any other people, and just like getting him back to who he was because like he lost a huge part of himself too. And I think that, like, the recovery needs to focus on that and less about, like, yes, it is important that he not see Katniss's life-threatening. And, like, it, it was a part of him that he loved her, and it's something that was important to him. But, like, also, the first things first, we need to get him back to who he was before we can even try to, like, untangle everything going on with how he's thinking about her, his memories of her, everything like that. And obviously progress is being made because he frosted this wedding cake and it looks gorgeous. And that he did that for Finnick and Annie because he really, he does care about them. Like, actually. Also, like, Katniss really, I've, I've definitely talked about how, like, I don't remember when, probably many times. What I love about their relationship is that Katniss initially kind of views Peta's goodness and his kindness and his generosity as a weakness. Like, yes, he's even going as far back as the bread. Yes, he saved her with that, but at a cost to himself in that, like, he got hit by his mother and and she always and like when they have that talk on the rooftop and he's like I don't want them to change me she's like okay but like you're literally gonna die if you don't kill people so stuff like that and I don't think she ever really like viewed him as weak specifically but she would have those kind of thoughts you know and I I do think it's really heartbreaking that the thing the one thing that like truly truly gets her to realize that like the kind of person he really was was his greatest strength is after that's been taken away and she literally says that like she can now fully appreciate who he really was even more so than she would have if he died because like she's now seeing him as a completely different person and she's realizing like all the things that made him him and all the things that made him good and all the things that made me love him literally have been taken away from him and he didn't have a choice in it and she views that the person he was before as stronger than she ever did um also susan collins evil genius because remember in literally catching fire when katniss is like stay with me 
um, when she like can't fall asleep. She wants Peter to stay with her until she falls asleep. And she's on like a bunch of painkillers at the time. So she's kind of out of it. And and the exact line is like, he whispers something as I fall asleep, but I don't quite catch it. And you're like, oh, wonder what he said. And then a literal novel later, it's worded exactly the same too. She says like, he had whispered something as I fell asleep and I couldn't quite catch it. It's like the same line, just in a different context. And she finally pulls out of her memory that what he said was always, that he would always stay with her. And it's not just like, in that situation like oh stay with me and he's like oh always but that like he has made a commitment to her mentally obviously he's always going to have to stay with her especially like before when they were like okay we're gonna be mentors for the rest of our lives we're gonna have to get married we're literally gonna have to be a couple forever we don't have a choice but like he has made a commitment to her like on a on a deeper level than that of like he's always going to be there to support her even if they like don't have a choice in whether they physically end up together. He is still committed to being there for her and supporting her on a much, much deeper level than that. And he made that promise to her that night and she didn't quite get it until now when she finally is able to like find it somewhere within her mind. And also Suzanne was so wrong for this like whole scene where she like, oh my God, it's so sad anyway. But yeah, the like direct connection between those between those two lines, and you can tell that every character's arc and the overarching story was like meticulously planned out. Like she knew what she was doing, but like that level of detail, it makes me feel insane. Makes me feel insane. Now we need to talk about the scene that literally has what, in my opinion, is the saddest line in the entire series, where Katniss goes to visit Peta because he requests to see her and she's like I don't really want to actually because I had decided to just like get away from this situation but like she doesn't have a choice and they have this conversation where he's like I remember the thing with the bread and he does like genuinely remember it because he never saw the clip of her talking about it like because she made it when he was getting rescued so it is from his own memory but he doesn't understand why he did it. He's like, why would I throw you that bread if I knew it, I was going to be punished for it? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And she's like, because you were a good person. And so we do see that, like, even on a fundamental level, his entire personality outlook on the world has changed. Not just like, why would I do that for you of all people? It's like, why would I do something like that? And he would have done that for anyone at the time because he is a generous person, even to his own, like, at cost his own physical or mental well-being and that has been completely changed now but the line that he says that I literally think is the saddest thing I've ever read in my entire life and it makes me like want to sob every time I remember um last summer I was working a job that was like a 30 minute drive from my house and so I would listen to audiobooks on the way to and from and I at one point was like oh I'm gonna like read Mockingjay for the five millionth time And I literally was like listening to this scene and I was like about to get to work and it just had gotten to this line. And then I had to like park and like go into work. And they were like, and I was like, okay. And I was like fighting back tears for the first like half of my shift thinking about this line. And of course the line is when he says, I must have loved you a lot. Can you imagine writing that and publishing it and being like, yeah, it's so much worse than anything else he could have said. Because putting that in the past tense is like, like it's done. Like he, he did love her a lot, 
And like, so there's definitely a part of him, like the real him is still inside there somewhere. And the part of him that still loves her probably is too. But on the surface level, he can only think about it in the past. Because he's like, how could I possibly love you now? You are threatening. You are terrifying. I don't trust you at all. I don't even particularly like you. But at some point, I guess I loved you. And that even like chokes her up because she's like, you did. And she didn't even really appreciate it until it was too late. And she obviously feels guilty for that. And the last line of this chapter also um, is, and I I did write it down. I probably didn't need to because I really think about it a lot. Where she says, finally, he can see me for who I really am. Violent, distrustful, manipulative, deadly, and I hate him for it. And she does have a lot of bitterness towards him. And again, I said I would talk about this more next week and I will. About how like that's a real problem that she has to work on. But there's also a scene in this chapter, or or like the chapter after that one, I think, where Peta comes and joins them at lunch. And this, I just, the line that he says to Finnick in this scene, I think was one of the points that really made it click for me of like, he's a completely different person now. Because he says to Finnick as like him and Annie are leaving, he's like, be nice to her Finnick or I might try and like take her away from you or something like that. Which is so not him at all. Like, he would never say anything remotely like that. And just, like, all the implications are so bad. Like, and Katniss is sitting right there. And she's, like, the fact that he would say this while I'm sitting here. And then he goes on to talk about how, like, he says, like, there are a lot of things that should count for something. Like, those nights on the train. And, like, again, it's just, like, complete. You see how, like, completely warped his perception of his relationship with her is. But also just, like, the things he's saying, like, it completely changed him as a person. And it's not just confusion, it's like hostility. And it's a shift in his fundamental personality. Finally, I'm at what I really, 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 really wanted to talk about today. And I'm going to say something right now. And I know I'm going to say this and everyone's going to be like, oh, you're exaggerating. Or like, that's not really true. Or you're just being dramatic. I swear to you, I'm not making this up. I'm 100% serious when I say this. I remember as a child, 2015, okay? walking into the movie theater to see Mockingjay Part 2. It was 12 a.m. because that was our like family tradition was to go see them all at midnight, which by the way, I will be upholding for Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. It's already on my calendar. I'm serious. But I specifically remember walking in and thinking, I can't wait to see how they execute the training scenes from Mockingjay in this film. So imagine my disappointment when they were not in the film. And I know that I am probably the only person on the entire planet who was thinking about that and like who that was what I cared the most about in that film. But I literally was. And I was so upset. And like, I'm over it now. No, I'm not. I'm not over it. I'm still a little bitter about it. And a big part of that actually is because like this was Joanna Mason's moment to shine and then they cut it out. And basically we're just like, oh, she just snuck to the Capitol. Fine, I guess it works. However... There's so much good stuff in here because first of all, it shows like her commitment to wanting to fight the Capitol and specifically to wanting to kill Snow. She literally just got shot. She's in so much pain. Everything in her life is terrible right now. And and they're like, you can only go to the Capitol if you start training. And she's like, okay, I will. And does. And like fights for it. And says it's like some of the hardest things she's ever had to do in her life, physically, 
And Joanna's the same. Like, she's also in terrible condition, but she's like, no, I'm going to fight the Capitol. And also, it gives us one of my favorite scenes ever where she's taking her, like, final exam, like, whatever it is, in the block, um, which is, like, that, like, simulated, like, street thing that they made in District 13 for training. And it's supposed to, like, target your weaknesses. And she's like, oh, God, what's my weakness going to be? And it hits her while she's on the block that her biggest weakness, especially from a military standpoint, is that she cannot take orders. She does not listen to other people. She's so stubborn. She does what she wants. And that has been an issue. Like, Hamish Abernathy was aware of this from day one of meeting her, that she is so stubborn. And it makes them really similar, but it's, like, a problem. Especially, again, as a soldier, they need soldiers. They need people who will follow orders. And it's also the reason why Coin never liked her because Coin only likes people she can control. She always, she never wanted Katniss rescued from the arena. She wanted PETA. And she doesn't, she can't control Katniss. And that's a big problem for her. But also like, again, as a soldier, you need to just follow orders. Like that's what you're supposed to be doing. And that's never been Katniss's thing. And she realizes in that moment, like, oh, this is my problem. This is why all these military people don't like me because I don't follow orders. And she's been doing it the entire series. And so she passes, but Joanna Mason, it literally makes me want to sob. Okay. Joanna doesn't pass. First of all, Joanna and Katniss are roommates during this. It's so good. Um, but she fails because they flood the block and she has like a flashback because when she was in the Capitol, the way they tortured her was by soaking her and then using electric shocks. Super terrible and dark and gruesome. Um, and Katniss basically realizes because Hamish tells Finnick and Katniss to go visit her. And Katniss is like, she doesn't have anyone. Like they're not really friends. They've been spending more time together now, but the most she's ever thought of her like is an ally. And so it's come to the point where they're basically her only friends because she doesn't have any family. She doesn't have any other people from District 7 she can turn to. Like, she's all on her own. And that's when Katniss makes her, like, the little bundle of, like, pine needles to smell like home. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It's so emotional. Where was this in the film? Um, But when she goes to visit her, Joanna, like, makes Katniss swear on her family's life that she's going to kill President Snow. And because, like, that is what is important to her, just like it is for Katniss. Because Snow took everything from Joanna the way that he's been taking things from Katniss. And that's why she was fighting so hard to get to the Capitol. And now she doesn't get to go. Um, But it's just such a, like, vulnerable moment from her. And she's not a character that is vulnerable often. Because she's very much a, like, keep her walls up, deflect everything through, like, humor, sarcasm, snark. Like, she never wants people to know how bad she's actually hurting but it's now at a point where she literally is so broken down and like all she wants is snow dead and she's trusting Katniss to do that for her and like I just oh so much wasted potential for the films for their relationship like they genuinely had one of the most interesting relationships to each other in the series and then it was not film anyway it's fine it's fine it's fine but no, the training scenes were literally bangers and then they just cut them out. And I was like, this is just like a personal attack because again, I'm pretty sure the, I'm the only person who cared that much about them. But anyway, then they get assigned to squad 451 and they're like, mm, we're actually just gonna like take videos of you guys. Which, oh, it's so weird because like, okay, Katniss I get, Finnick I get, like 
they really need them on screen. But some of these like sharpshooters from District 13, why don't they get to be in a real squad? Like I like the people at Panem don't know who they are. Putting them on screen, it's like, oh, okay, wow, they're really good shooters. Cool. Makes me feel good about our chances. But like they could be doing so much more actually fighting. Like I do think that Katniss is more valuable to the rebellion as like a a person to like put on screen like as the Mockingjay than she is an actual soldier because like yes she can fight yes she's a really good shot but like physically she's not in as good a shape as any of these 13 even after she goes through all her training and like maybe even Gail like the people of Panem are starting to know who Gail is but like these people from District 13 they don't know who they are and they're really good at what they do so like put them in a real squad like I'm angry on their behalf but yeah she kind of goes to the capital not really ever intending to come back she's like I'm gonna kill Snow I'll probably end up getting killed and then that'll be that. Which is like a really like dark line of thinking, obviously, and like really indicative of where she's at mentally right now because she just like can't care about anything after that. And it's going to take a lot of work for her to like change that mindset and a lot of help too. But yeah, her and Joanna, literally besties, literally besties. They're actually not. Katniss literally is like, we're not that close. But to me... (laughs) to me they're best friends I also do think they have a lot in common that they don't realize um but that's a whole different story but yeah just say that like Katniss didn't really understand Joanna until now basically but yeah that scene where she goes to visit her in the hospital and gives her the little like bundle of leaves and pine needles and they have that conversation about snow is like one of it's Joanna Mason's best scene period but it's also like a really good scene and I wish that it was in the film because I feel like people who just watch the movies don't have the appreciation for Joanna Mason that they should have. They're like, oh, she's cool. She's sexy. So true. I agree. I agree. And she does have some good moments. Don't get me wrong. And Jenna Malone is incredible. And I am obsessed with her. But like the actual layers to her character don't really get pulled back the way that they do in the books because she just doesn't have enough screen time for that to happen. And this chunk of the book was largely cut out and that was like her moment. I'll stay mad about it, but it's okay. Thanks for joining me this week on Tales of Panem. For those of you reading along with me, next week's episode will be covering chapters 19 through 23 of Mockingjay. If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanem at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review or rating of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week.